Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 18 through verse 35. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet... This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. If you would please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, it is good for Stephanie and I to be back in town, back here in Arkansas after our uh, vacation to Florida. We did miss it here, although we did have a great time there on the beach. Uh, we did get to spend one day at Walt Disney World with, uh, with Stephanie's mom and stepdad and her sister and her husband. We had uh, six adults, five kids. We left Abigail at home. Uh, Abigail's only, uh, well, she'll be 11 months soon. And so uh, a little too young for Disney World. Although we were surprised that there were several parents there who had children her age 
or even younger. And we were wondering, why would parents put themselves through that, <laughs> taking their kids that young to Disney World? Um, but uh, I am here to announce, and some people may disagree with me, but uh, based on what we saw, Disney World actually is not the happiest place on earth. <laughs> um, especially for those parents with the young children. There was a lot of exasperated faces. So if you come to Disney World thinking uh, as a parent that it's just going to be amazing, yes, we had a lot of fun. Uh, the expectations that we had were met. But if you expect, you know, this is going to be uh, the greatest um, and you have an 11-month-old, um, you, you probably should uh, review your expectations there. Um, but we did have a great time and uh, we enjoyed it, uh, but it is always good to be back. Um, but expectations are a funny thing. You know, when expectations are not met, um, even when something good happens, we're disappointed. Um, whenever you begin a relationship with someone, you put your best foot forward. When Stephanie and I started dating, um, she saw the best of me. Um, I surprised her often. I was a gentleman to her. Um, I did my best to win her heart, in a sense. And so I created these towering expectations. <laughs> uh, we've been married for seven years. Uh, those expectations have diminished some. Um, I wish I could say, you know, I, I still treat her exactly like I did when we were dating. Um, having four kids uh, tends, to, uh, uh, tends to make that a little more difficult. But we have these expectations. Um, my niece is getting married in August. And they have expectations of what a marriage is supposed to look like. And when those expectations aren't met, we become disappointed. Even if it's a great thing, um, we have, have this sense of loss. We see John the Baptist here this morning, and we see his expectations of Jesus. You see, John, at this point in Luke's gospel, is sitting in prison. Uh, Luke doesn't share the story with us, but the other gospels do. Um, John the Baptist, as he often did, he spoke boldly. He wasn't afraid of what other people thought, even those who were in positions of power. And he is sitting in prison at this point because he spoke out against Herod, who was the king there. Herod, who has ta had taken his brother's wife, John spoke out against that publicly, and so Herod had him thrown in prison. And so while he's sitting there in his cell... John is getting reports from his disciples, from his followers. And he's getting reports about Jesus and about what is going on. And the reports that he is receiving are causing him to be perplexed. They're not meeting his expectations of who Jesus is supposed to be. Why isn't Jesus doing the things that John thought he would be doing? That John actually prophesied that he would. You know, back in Luke chapter 3, 
we saw in verses 16 and 17 that John prophesied this. He said, I baptized you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. He's talking about the judgment that Christ is going to be bringing. But he doesn't see it happening. He doesn't see this in the life of Christ. What is going on? The reports that he is hearing, plus the dire circumstances that that John is in at this point, gives him cause for concern, and he begins to ask the question, is Jesus the one? Is he the one who is to come, or should we be looking for another? You know, like so many others in the time of Jesus, John's expectations concerning Jesus weren't being met. But Jesus gave an answer to reassure John that he did not have to go looking for another. That Jesus is the one. So John sends his followers to Jesus to ask him this question. Are you the one? Or should we be looking for another? And if you follow along in our passage, you'll notice that Jesus doesn't answer the question right away. Instead, he goes about what he is doing. He performs miracles. He heals people of diseases. He casts out demons. He gives the blind back their sight. And when he is done performing these miracles, then he speaks. And his answer to John's followers is this. Look around you at what is happening. Look, observe. Report back to John what you have just witnessed. The blind are receiving their sight. The lame are walking. Lepers are being cleansed. The deaf are hearing. The dead are being raised up. And the poor have the good news being preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now Jesus is referring back to even an earlier prophecy before John. He is referring back to Isaiah. Uh, You remember um, Luke's record of Jesus' first sermon in Luke chapter 4, where he's in a synagogue teaching. They bring him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he reads from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And before their eyes, Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy concerning the Messiah, the one who who is to come. Remember, as we read about these miracles of Jesus, these things that He's doing, we're constantly reminding ourselves that the reason that Jesus has come is not to perform these miracles. Instead, these miracles are proof of who He is. Jesus is telling John, these things that are happening, this is proof that I am the One. And in dramatic fashion, we see Jesus reversing the effects of the fall, reversing the effects of sin in the world. And he concludes by saying, the poor have good news preached to them. 
And the poor that Jesus is referring to here is the spiritually poor. Those who know that they need a Savior. The good news, as we talked about then and now, is that the Savior is here. Jesus has come. The good news is that the kingdom of God has broken into this world because of the presence of the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news is that God's will is being done here on earth as it is in heaven. If you remember back to the the introduction of Luke's gospel, he wrote this gospel for Theophilus so that Theophilus might be certain of the things he had been taught. Well, Jesus is telling John here, he is allowing him to be certain of the things that he knows about the Messiah, that he would know for sure that Jesus is the one. You know, these expectations of John uh, were not being met. He was expecting one who would execute judgment immediately on the world. What John didn't realize is that Jesus would judge the world. He will. But first he came to save it. So Jesus warns John. He says, blessed is he who is not offended me, not offended by me. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, John, don't turn your back on me because I have not met your expectations. That will come. And it would be easy for John to despair at this point. He's sitting in a dungeon. He is rotting in prison. He is not seeing things play out as he thought they would in the world. It would be easy for him to bang his fist against those prison walls, shouting out in despair, wishing that Jesus would act in judgment against his enemies. But Jesus came, first of all, to save his enemies. You know, it's easy for us to despair in our lives, too, when things don't always turn out the ways that we anticipate or expect or thought that they would. We shake our fists at God because we expect a life with Jesus to look differently than it does. We expect a a better life. In an easier life, maybe a more fulfilling life. But Jesus doesn't seem to be meeting our expectations. Just like in our marriages that I referred to easier uh, earlier, we have these fairy tale expectations as we walk down that aisle. We have this wedding, and we have the, these ideals of what marriage is going to be like. And then we realize that, that marriage is difficult that our spouse can't be controlled, doesn't always act in the way that we want them to act. They're their own person. And in fact, our spouse is a sinner. And we come to realize the fact about ourselves that we are just as big of a sinner as they are. That we don't meet our spouse's expectations either. And so marriage is this This joining of two sinful people who are learning to love each other with the love of God. And we realize that, you know what? This is not something that we can do on our own. The love that we have for each other, this feeling, isn't going to get us through. We need the Lord. He is the one 
who can fulfill our expectations. So often in our culture, when our expectations aren't met, uh, we cut and we run. We see problems in our spouse. We see problems in our marriage. And it doesn't meet our expectations, so we bail. But God is calling us to adjust our expectations, to throw our expectations on Christ. Jesus responds by telling us what he told John. Blessed is he who is not offended by me. You see, Jesus isn't the one who needed to change for John to meet John's expectations. Instead, it was John who needed to be changed. He needed the Holy Spirit to help him grasp who Jesus was and what he was doing. And Jesus doesn't need to change for us to meet our expectations of what life with Christ should be like. Instead, we need the Holy Spirit to come and to change us so that we would be gripped by the gospel. Because as John found out, Jesus is truly the one. We don't have to wait for another. So when John's followers depart, Jesus then goes on to clear up some misunderstandings about John. He doesn't want the crowds there to to misunderstand who John really is. And he defends John and his ministry here. He says, what did you go out to see? A reed tossed by the winds? Uh, Did you see a a man dressed in soft clothing? Uh, No, of course not. He wore camel's hair. He ate locusts and honey. Um, uh, This was a man who people went out to hear boldness proclaimed. And John truly is, as as Jesus says here, the messenger who is sent to prepare the way for Christ. He is the promised prophet, and you should have followed him. John was truly special, as he says here, that no one um, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. What, a, what an acclaim to have Jesus say of you, no one who has been born of woman is greater than this person. But he goes on to say, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Uh, that's not to say that John was not part of the kingdom of God. He was. Um, But what he is saying here is that those who come after John get to experience the kingdom. They get to see what Christ has done. To see the gospel being played out. John was a herald of the gospel's coming. We, as as we look back 2,000 years now, get to see what Jesus has done. And Jesus calls out this group of people who have reacted, people have reacted in two different ways to John here. Some have accepted him, and some have rejected him. Uh, it says in parentheses here in the, in the ESV, uh, verses 29 and 30, it says, When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. In other words, they accepted him. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So there were those who accepted John, and that there were those who rejected him. 
And Jesus goes on to speak to those who did reject him. And he's talking mostly to the Pharisees here. And he calls out this parable, this, in a sense, this nursery rhyme that children would recite. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge for you, but you did not weep. And then he calls them out on how they've reacted to John and to Jesus. And this was interesting to me, how they react to John. They say, because he became eating no bread and drinking no wine, they say he has a demon. John was strange. He was living in the desert by himself. He had strange clothing. He, uh, he took these vows where he wouldn't drink wine. He, he ate honey. Um, that, that was him, and he spoke boldly. And they condemned him, and they said, well, he has a demon. Jesus, in a sense, came, and he was the opposite. He was always surrounded by people. He was going to parties. He was spending time with prostitutes, with tax collectors and sinners. They say they called him a drunkard and a glutton. Um, So they call John one who is demon-possessed, but they call Jesus a drunkard. Nothing is ever good enough for these Pharisees. John was too ascetic. Jesus uh, was a party animal. Jesus and John were perceived so differently, and the Pharisees found problems with both of them. The problem is is that these Pharisees are being overly critical. Nothing is ever right. And here's the reason. Because they were rejecting John, they were rejecting Jesus, but ultimately they were rejecting God. You know, the Pharisees were difficult to please because of their approach to God was so self-centered. Philip Ryken, in his commentary on this, has this quote. He says that the Pharisees would neither have the holiness and the wrath of God, nor the love and the forgiveness of God. All they wanted was a God small enough to compromise and to pretend that their imperfect keeping of the law was adequate a salvation small enough for their merits to earn it. You know, like the Pharisees, we have a tendency to be overly critical. As you go to lunch after church and uh, you meet up with friends or family or others, there's often the question that was asked or that is asked, so how was church this morning? And uh, I know that uh, I'm the one at the pulpit. I have uh, uh, an opportunity that most people don't have um, uh, to speak to this. But um, often we'll say something like, you know, it was good. You know, the songs were okay. We kind of messed up on the third verse of that one song. And, uh, you know, it kind of dragged on a little bit. And, and, and things, you know, something didn't happen, happen quite right. Um, and uh, we critique You know, maybe the sermon was a little long. He could have used a couple more illustrations, you know, things like that. And uh, we critique our worship on a Sunday morning. And I agree that we should critique worship. Because worship should be done in a way that is is pleasing, is honoring to God. It should be done in an orderly fashion. Um, But I have some bad news. This side of heaven, we're never going to have perfect worship. We get to look forward to that when Christ comes again in His glory. 
When we spend more time being critics of Sunday morning, we reveal that our concept of worship is more one of entertainment rather than of offering ourselves to God. It's like uh, JFK said in his inauguration speech um, back in the 60s. He said, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. As we approach worship, ask not what your worship service can do for you, but what we can do to glorify God during worship. You know, this was the problem with the Pharisees. They turned God into something that they themselves have constructed. They wanted God to act according to their desires. So they rejected uh, John. He was too judgmental. They rejected Jesus because he was too much of a party animal living and interacting with sinners. They had made God for themselves. They were not believing that they were made for God. Their expectations, like John, were not being met. And they were overly critical of both Jesus and John. So as we conclude this morning, what what do we do? Where do we go from here? Especially in terms of our expectations. We need to believe in Jesus even when He is not acting according to our desires. We can't try to make Him into something that He is not according to our own beliefs. When we expect Jesus to meet our own personal, our own self-seeking expectations, we will always be disappointed. But when we see Jesus for who He really is, we will never be disappointed. When we see Him as the one who gives sight to the blind, who heals diseases, who makes the lame walk, who preaches the good news to the poor, which is us. We will never be disappointed. You know, the Christian life, as we've been talking about through the the book of Luke, the Christian life is one of surrender. As we become a disciple of Christ, we surrender our lives to Him, even our expectations. Because when we surrender our lives to God through faith in Christ, We even surrender our expectations of what we think God should be, of what we think the Christian life should be. If we think that our life should be easy with Jesus, we need to get back to the Scriptures, like Jesus reminded John. And we need to understand that Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Now, Christ did completely fulfill expectations. They weren't ours. They weren't John's. They were his father's. Jesus completely fulfilled the expectations that God had placed on him. And in doing so, Jesus provided us with the greatest gift. He has provided us with salvation through his blood shed on the cross. And the good news for us today is the same good news that Jesus shared with John 2,000 years ago. That we who are poor in spirit because of our sins have the good news preached to us. That we are more sinful than we have ever dared to imagine. But we are more loved by God through Christ than we have ever dared to believe. Amen. Would you please pray with me? 
our most gracious God and our Father in heaven. We thank you and we praise you that your Son, Jesus Christ, has not fulfilled our expectations or John's expectations, but that he has fulfilled your expectations. That he gave his life as a sacrifice. That he died on the cross to save us from our sins so that we might have life and life to the full. I pray that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would would help us to put to death our expectations that are made in our image of what we feel like you should be. That you would refine our expectations according to your desires so that we could live lives for your glory and not for our own. I pray that you would take this small view that we have of you and that you would expand it so that we might see all your glory, all your goodness. And as we go from this place, Lord, I pray that you would use us to be witnesses for you and for your gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.